What a wonderful song. Um, as I get started, um, Craig, what time is it? 11.17. Eileen, what time is it? What time is it? Almost lunchtime is what it is. You know, I'm a, I, I've been pastor here 27 almost years, and I'm still stayed because I haven't forgotten what time it is, right? Although sometimes may wonder um, if I have forgotten the time. What is time? You know, it's one of those words. Both were right. Uh, what time is it? As I went to Wright State University, still studying to be a, a zoo veterinarian, and as I was studying and so forth, and I took a class once that didn't make much sense to me. It was a bit of a little bit of philosophy and a bunch of other things. And I heard this definition, and as I've tried to apply it, I think I really get where the teacher was going, that time is existence between two events. And as I've really meditated on that, and I think I probably have mentioned that um, a couple of times here from the pulpit, but time, existence between two events. Is time a thing? Well, um, kind of yes, kind of no. It's not necessarily tangible, but it can point to something. It can be an, um, a, an area of, of um, existence, you know, uh, and things like that. But when we apply it to God, and when we come to um, the, the times of our lives, we live in tough times, do we not? When I was studying to be a zoo veterinarian on a secular university, one thing that I heard a lot about was time in evolution, that it is given enough time and chance anything can happen. Well, chance, what's that? It's randomness. And so time is existence between acts of randomness. And that was why they defined it that way. Is that good science? Let me just quickly answer that. This isn't where I want to go. But uh, the answer to that is no. You don't get order out of randomness. And, and so that becomes thing. But what is time? And they said, well, we have all the time that we need. The time is just, it just continues. And yet when it comes to the preparation of um, the writing of Holy Scripture in God in His revealed Word, what does the Bible start off with? In the beginning, God created. That first of all, there was a beginning. The beginning of what? Well, uh, as he goes on and through the creation week, and we take those as literal uh, words and so forth, and we believe in a literal seven-day, actually six-day creation, resting the seventh, but a seven-day cycle, that those were, uh, that was actually the beginning of stuff. Um, God creating water, land, sun, moon, stars, the whole thing, animals, and ultimately us. So we would say that in the beginning... Um, that the beginning there, what was beginning was creation, but also time. And then what happens before in the beginning God created? God was already in the beginning, so that means he preceded the beginning 
of stuff and of time. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 we read, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So God inhabits eternity. That is, in a sense, if you want to use the word time, it's time without limits, time without direction. I don't know if you can still refer to that as time because that time in eternity is nothing like the time that we understand, a sequence of events. But we do know that God existed before Genesis 1-1. We also know that Jesus Christ existed before Genesis 1-1. And that's what we saw in that opening of the Gospel of John chapter 1, where we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was from the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing that was made was made. And then he goes on, drops down verse 14, and the word, that which was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is a reference to Jesus Christ coming to be born of a virgin. The, uh, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent. Jesus referred to himself as the sent one. That he was one who was sent of the Father. He did not begin at the incarnation. He did not begin within the confines of, of time uh, after Genesis 1-1. But he was the living word that was with God and was God before Genesis 1-1. And he as well, we can say, is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. So today, in a sense, we are really going to be stretching a metaphysical thought, but these are all Bible verses and we're going to apply them to the nativity and really just exactly what was going on. What I want to do is, is to take a quick uh, look at five paths of thought as we consider deity embracing time. Five paths of thought. Five areas in which we can look at this. It'll be organized enough for us to be able to get it. But five paths of understanding deity, God, embracing time. Now, when I think of the term embracing, I think of the, the, the sense of, um, of uh, just giving a good hug. Uh, I love being married and I love hugging my wife and kissing my wife. You know, the... Uh, that when it says that there was a, a Buble song about I get to kiss her just because I can. And that's a, you know, perk of uh, marriage. And, and I, you know, and that's part of, in a sense, what marriage is, is the embracing of your spouse. But I'm making, and I, and I have that mental picture, but it's God embracing. It'll be time, humanity, poverty, death, and eternity in us. But I want us this morning to consider God embracing time. With those verses that he is above time, he's outside of time, but in a sense, 
He has embraced time. And I want to consider that in five different ways today. And the first passage of Scripture that we can turn to is, which actually puts it together, is back to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4. And here the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Galatia, he was kind of surprised at several things at those believers. In chapter 1, he was just surprised that they had um, so easily forgotten and were open to the preaching of another gospel. They were taught by him and others the idea of the truth of God's word and, and so forth and of the gospel. And so he had to give them the warning, if anybody comes and among you to preach any other gospel than what we have done, let the, uh, preach, then let him be anathema. And let me just say it again so you don't miss it. If anyone, including an angel, come down from heaven and preach to you any other gospel, let him be anathema or accursed. Let him be cast into hell if they change up the gospel that it was once delivered unto you about Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, who he was, who God is, what we are, what we need, and we need righteousness and we don't have it, and we must have the righteousness of God provided to us and we have that in him by faith and so he he's concerned about them uh, concerning those things and there's going to be other things that he is uh, concerned about as well Uh, and it's some of this is even mentioned in verse in in chapter four but there was some confusion with them as well concerning the law but he in chapter three where we did our scripture reading this morning chapter three verse 26 in galatians He says, for you are all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the message and the things that he's talking about here is really about being a believer, a truly born again saved person. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, that we looked at last week about the identity with Christ in our baptism. And then he talks about, and there is no difference, Jew, Gentile, uh, bond free, male, female, and we go into that. And this is dealing with our standing in Christ. It does not mean that we are all the same and that all the roles have been demolished. Um, Many people come to this passage of scripture and they add many other things, justifying things like women preachers and the things like that. That is not what this verse is talking about. It is talking about our standing in Christ. When we come to him in Christ, that a woman has as much right... ...to go before God as what a man does. A, um, in the day and age of slavery... ...that if you were a slave... Um, ...you have as much right to go before God as your owner. Uh, there is no hierarchy within God in our standing in Christ. And he goes on and to say then... ...and if you are Christ's... ...then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise... Now, there's so much I would love to say there because I like to talk theology and how that the church um, uh, and believers, uh, that we are Abraham's seed. And this whole idea of separation of Israel and the church, there is a separation of the church between ethnic Israel and um, uh, Gentiles. But again, no difference in Gentile and Jew, no difference in Christ, and that we are considered the, uh, the Abraham's seed according to the promise. And we are heirs. And so there is a oneness in the people of God as we come together. 
But then as he goes on, he says, Now heirs, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. In other words, you know, if a, if a person has a child and then they have slaves, um, the slave and the child are basically kind of on equal footing. They don't get the inheritance of the promises because the, the, the father is still alive. But then he goes on and makes this, this distinction. He says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But something has changed. How is it that we have gained pro- the promise how do, are we becoming an heir to the new covenant? How do we do this? Because something happened, and it's found in verse 4, and it's talking about because God embraced time. So he says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we, what? Might receive the adoption of sons. So he turns to the nativity. Now he doesn't go around the whole thing about talking about Joseph and Mary. He doesn't really go into the whole thing about the virgin conception. He doesn't go into the thing about um, John the Baptist and all the other things that we talk about and think about and study. He doesn't, uh, at the time of Christmas, he doesn't go into the shepherds and the angels then go into the thing about the star and then the wise men from the east who come later on when they finally, when Jesus is a little bit older. He doesn't go into all of this, but he talks about we become heirs of the promise because deity embraced time when it was full. The term, the fullness there, when the fullness of time had come and then it breaks forth in the coming of Jesus, it is a good picture um, hopefully, I know of uh, one of our pregnant ladies who said she was having some, we'll hopefully pray that they're only Braxton and Hicks uh, con- uh, contractions and not some pre-labor and real labor contractions. Uh, we have, uh, but we have at least three here that I, that I have a kind of a handle on, on who's in here. And so we hope that the fullness of time is not here for any of them. Because we all understand what that means, right? It means not underneath their control... Ultimately, through the sovereignty of God, we get that. We'll put that on him. But we also know that it is their bodies. It's going to come a time. And there's a lot. We don't need to go into the biology of all of it. Although I'd love to do that too as a biologist. But the breakdown of different things and the hormonal changes and everything. And then all of a sudden, when the fullness of time has come, we're not going back. And there's events taking place that are going to change your world. Okay, And we think of that just with pregnant women. But now he has introduced this idea that we are the children of God, that we have been adopted into the family, and that we receive the heirs of the promise as children of Abraham's seed. How? Because there was the fullness of time. Now what does all of that mean? Well, the word itself can refer to several things. First of all, it can refer to religiously the fullness of time had come. That with respect to, this is uh, Galatia, and there were um, uh, believers, uh, Jewish believers there in that church. There were a lot of Gentiles believers in that church. And with respect to the the whole religious aspect of that, that, it was the right time. 
the right time for the beginning of, uh, of um, breaking open the gospel to the Jews, to the nation of Israel. But then as Israel was always supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, and when the fullness of time had come, when everything was just right, when Israel had the reputation within the Gentile world, and there was a lot of trade, a lot of things going on, that this would be the time for the gospel to break forth and for Jesus to come. Not only was it the right religious time, it was a good religious time because of the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites and all of them as Jesus had taken them on and pointed out to their weaknesses and so forth. It was um, the fullness of time also points to a sense of culture. In the Roman world, uh, they were given to polytheism, and we see that in the book of Acts uh, through the teaching and preaching of the Apostle Paul and others, that it was a time, a, a time culturally when just about anybody and everybody had their own God, or there could be a lot of gods, a lot of recognition. There was a sense of spirituality, a sense of the reality of um, what I want to say, the sense of the reality of the supernatural, although it was all corrupt and very pagan. And so even Paul at Athens, he goes in and sees all the different gods. I want to tell you about the unknown God. Now, the only reason he could pull that off and the, why he, and the reason why he approached that way was because of the culture of the day and age and because of the Roman culture, that they would be open. Okay, well, yeah, tell us about this unknown God. I suppose we could have overlooked one. Well, then he's going to say, well, the unknown God to you is actually the only God. And, of course, that's what eventually got him into trouble, which it does to this very day. You can say that Jesus is one of the ways to heaven. You won't have any enemies except the evangelical Bible-believing Christians. But if you go on to say Jesus is the only way, oh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be a little bit contentious against you because that is so narrow-minded. That is so bigoted. Well, it might be narrow-minded. It's not bigoted, but it might be narrow-minded. But the question really needs to be answered, is it true? And that's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. So it's narrow-minded because Jesus was telling us the truth. There's only one way, and he's it. And so we have, but culturally... Um, for the beginning of the church and the, for Jesus to come in that, it was the right time. Politically it was. And we, anyone who studies their Bible very long knows about the spread of the gospel and how that, you know, the Romans and with their road building and how that the gospel would be carried to the ends of the earth. That was all a good time uh, politically and economically is another one too. Now, um, there was some difficulty with the economics of the coming of Jesus and we're going to look at that, that God also embraced uh, poverty, but when you're God, everything else is poverty, right? I mean, He created everything and has no want, and so, um, but He embraced um, uh, poverty that way. But they were taken care of, but economically, so that Joseph could take his young wife and baby and travel to Nazareth and do those things like that. Economically, it was good. The demographic of the whole time of where people were going to be and everything and the time of taxation and all of that. So all of that is included in the term when the fullness 
had time had come, God sent forth his son. And so all of that then does uh, point those things out. But then we also learn that there was another side to that. When the fullness of time had come, and who was it that was making those decisions and that God would send out his son, and why was it exactly at that time? Well, if you turn with me to Galatians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, we get another picture of what's going on. As God, who inhabits eternity, remember we've already said that, that God is not bound by time, but he decided to send his son, who is deity, into time. That sentence, by the way, ought to, it has plagued me for years. I spend an awful lot of time just meditating and thinking about that. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the creator God and all of that. And then the Word, um, and the Word became flesh. And Jesus said he was sent. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. That Son is deity. The Son who is in the realms of eternity and of the spiritual kingdom of which we only have some concepts of, he left that and he came into time. We really make light of that or we just don't spend enough time thinking about that. When God embraced time at its fullness at the right time. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly, in the heavenly uses the original language, in the heavenly places. So he has blessed us, but this is where God is. He's in the heavenlies. He's blessed us in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. Or in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now I'm going to stop right there. The beginning of the aspect of salvation does not begin when you were born. It doesn't begin with your need because of the first time that you sinned. It doesn't actually even begin in Genesis chapter uh, 3... When Adam sinned and then became the progenitor of a sinful race. And when Paul applies that and says, in Adam all sinned. It, our salvation ultimately in the process. Not the complete aspect of it, but in the process. It doesn't begin at the time that you prayed a sinner's prayer. Or that you came to realize of their sinfulness and all of that. The God who inhabits eternity. Chose us. And his son before the foundation of the world. What do you know? We have something else now that is going on before Genesis 1-1. When only God exists. In other words, as we read in the confession, our need of the son embracing time and coming here to be born of a virgin so he would be untouched by sin so that when he died on the cross... My sin could be put on him because he died in my place so that I could live for eternity. We call all of this the gospel. All of that is pretemporal. 
The first thing that we're considering here is, and the first thought is, that as God embraced time, it actually is pre-temporal. It's before time, before the foundation of the world. This isn't the only time he says it. Uh, Just as he chose us uh, in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and uh, without blame before him in love, having predestined us. Now, the term means to determine the destiny of it. And I'm not going into all of the discussion theologically of what's the basis of that predestination. Do we believe in predestination? What is the doctrine of election? What I'm pointing out is, whatever those things are, and if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you've got to believe that something that's about them, that is all pre-temporal, before time. Having predestinated us to the adoption of sons, to him who according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he has made us accepted in him. And uh, drop down to verse 10, and that in the dispensation of the fullness of the time, that he might gather to in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. That is what Paul was thinking of in Galatians. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after uh, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. You see, all these pre-temporal words. When the fullness of time comes, that's in reference to the, uh, to the nativity. But there was a time before the fullness of time. And in the preparation of it all. And if we go all the way back to Genesis 1. My brethren, Christmas is far more than the Grinch. And far more than Santa Claus. Is far more than trees and wreaths. And how those are nice traditions, and I'm not going after any of those. But I'm just saying, if that's all Christmas is to you, and in giving gifts and getting the Fitbit or the, you know, iWatch, uh, smartwatch, or if it's just about, you know, in previous sermons we might have said preparing for a cruise, but I don't think anybody would want that this Christmas. But, you know, the ideas of just getting, 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 and shop, 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 and, you know, Cyber Monday, And now they just made it Cyber Month. You know, just go shop on the internet. You know, avoid COVID. And all these kind of... If you get so kind of... Don't lose out on what Christmas is really about. A God who inhabits eternity above and beyond all of time. Sovereignly chose... When the fullness of time was come, now I don't want to make light of this, but to add it to our carnal, meaning fleshly type thinking. The father turns to the son and says, okay, Jesus, time to go. Uh, How does that happen? There was a time when Mary was not pregnant. There was a time that that she was pregnant. And Jesus had gone from heaven to a womb. This is a, uh, it's far greater than even a miracle. This is, this is awesomeness of God, of deity. At this point, embracing time, 
and coming into it. But it was all planned pre-temporally before time. The birth of Jesus is God ultimately embracing time. Now, I feel like I got to say this, although I'm going to say it again later on. And I don't fully get it because God is spirit and those that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. And that moment when Jesus was conceived and sent to the womb of Mary... The Son of God now was the God-man. And there was a tie between deity, humanity. That'll be that sermon. But But still, it has God at that time, when time was full, he embraced. Wow, that's our God. So, in our five thoughts that we have in the midst of this, we know, first of all, that this is God deity embracing time began pretemporally before time secondly that God embracing time was also promised in prophecy go with me to Isaiah chapter you would know Isaiah chapter 50 uh, uh, chapter 7 You see, God, who is at the beginning and above and beyond all of time, that's how he can prophesy what's going to happen, is because he already, we say, he already knows what's going to happen. It's a little more than just omniscience. That's why we read, he chose all of this. He's sovereign over all of it. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. We cannot fully understand that because we are part of the creation. And he is God. But when we come to Isaiah chapter 7, and uh, if we look at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name God with us, Emmanuel. Well, as that was then further explained a little bit more in Isaiah chapter 9, go to chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now that's prophesied. You got hundreds of years before that's ever going to be fulfilled. How can that be? Because God embraced time. He embraced time even before time was. He embraced time and the fullness of time even before that was hundreds of years in prophecy. He embraced that also. It's also within prophecy, but it's also seen in the Gospel of Luke. Let's go to this passage, the Gospel of Luke. And that there was a promise that had been made. That there would be 
um, a voice crying in the wilderness. And so we've got that uh, God embracing time is pre-temporal and pre-time. It is in prophecy, prophecy time. Now it's going to be in a pronouncement of time. Pronouncement of time. Luke chapter 1, verse... Well, let's pick it up at verse 11. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. This is with Zacharias. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call his name John. And we know the the fact that he was struck with that and everything. And the angel gives more information. Zacharias says, oh no, that ain't going to happen. And he says, okay, now you're going to be struck dumb. That is not able to speak in the midst of all of this. Until you know that this is uh, really true. And so then she um, does get pregnant. They do deliver a baby. Now drop down to verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak. And when they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he had beckoned them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he went home. And then they eventually had this baby. You remember that Jesus, uh, Mary, uh, carrying Jesus, goes over. But she has not been uh, gotten pregnant yet. Um, at this particular point. And then um, when they are both pregnant, Mary goes and meets Elizabeth and uh, John the Baptist jumps um, in her womb. And so we have that he was at his own profession and also as prophesied, there will be one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And we saw that when we went through verse by verse through the Gospel of John. So we've got... Deity embracing time pre-temporally. Deity embracing time in the sense of prophecy and prophetic time. That deity embraces time in preparation by the preacher John the Baptist in the whole nativity account. But now we've got, thirdly, the profound or the profundity of God embracing time in Luke chapter 1 and beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one of the Lord. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Consider what manner of greeting it was. Why was she troubled? Well, it goes on. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will, future tense, conceive in your room and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be? I do not know a man. Now we understand what that means in physical terms. I just want to interject. Where's Jesus at this point? He is in heaven. He is spirit. He is totally unattached to flesh the angel answered and said to her 
The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Okay, that's... I don't think the Holy Spirit has ever come upon anyone, woman or man, but in this case it would be a woman. I don't think the Holy Spirit has ever come upon a woman like this. Now, he came upon prophets. He came upon, you know, different ones, the preachers and so forth. But this is a special coming upon. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One, that Holy One, that one that holy means separate, um, uh, different, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month with her, who was then called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. See, this is a God thing. This is the profundity of this God event that God is now going to embrace time. Started pre-time, then came in prophetic time, then came in getting ready for pronouncement time. Now it is about to happen. Mary said, then Mary said, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, or the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. We will assume there is the embracing of deity to time. There is a profundity. God entered time according to plan at its fullness at the right time, at the right moment. And some kind of a event we call the virgin birth, the virgin conception. But there is an embracing of which has never been undone to this day. Jesus is in heaven with real, with a real body. And he embraced time in a real way of which there is no change. Then we know that Mary arose and went to see um, uh, uh, Elizabeth and so forth. That is a profound embrace. But why? When there's only God, the holy God... Uh, Remember that verse that says, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He dwells in a high and holy place. And he came to Israel. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Mary, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He came to save. What did Jesus say? The Father has sent me. He sent me to those that are sick. I'm like a physician. I'm to the sick, not to the healthy. He said, I came. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But let's go back now as we wrap this this embracing message up. And go back to Galatians chapter 3.
Galatians chapter 3. This gives us that fifth thought that is with a P. And in Galatians chapter 3. We read this. When the fullness of time. Galatians chapter 3. I got to make sure I'm in the right, uh, right place here. In Galatians chapter 4. No wonder. In Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. He entered time. Entered humanity. Born under the law, that's going to deal with some of the things as far as part of his poverty and some of the other things that are there. Now verse 5. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. Sinners. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish why do we perish? Why do people go to hell? Because they are lawbreakers. They are unrighteous. They deserve the wrath of God. They go and they suffer the wrath of God. But Jesus came so we wouldn't have to. That's why he is called the Savior. Behold, the Savior is born. So easy to say, so easy to sing. Profound in its import. Because, at least first of all, deity embraced time in a way that is beyond our comprehension. Yet God in his word has shared with us the unknowable so that we could know a little bit. My brethren... What time is it? It's Christmas time. When God embraced time. To the praise, honor, and glory of a sovereign God who chose to do it when he did. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you. 